Sarah, this is your mother. You have hurt me more, more than I could have ever imagined. Have a very uncomfortable day. Goodbye. Welcome to Disaffected. I'm Joshua Slocum coming to you from dystopian Burlington, Vermont. And this is the show where we talk about politics, culture, and relationships through a psychological lens. What you heard there in that introduction was a voicemail left to my friend Sarah by her mother at 6 a.m. on Valentine's Day. This woman is a lifelong alcoholic who abandoned Sarah mid-childhood. Thank God her father and her wonderful stepmother did not. Mom lives in drunken squalor with her new husband in a house right out of the TV show, Hoarders. Despite all of that, Sarah has tried to be a forgiving Christian, occasionally visiting her mother and trying to help clean the house up in the past few years. And her efforts have only been thrown back in her face. So she distanced herself. And now this, the failed mother blames the child that she hurt and abandoned and claims that the child is abusing her. This is projection and reversal. It's projection of shadow, the shadow side onto someone else. The darkness inside her mother is unbearable, so she has to place it inside Sarah. Welcome to the borderline mother. rocked Sarah when she heard that and rocked me not as much of course but it sounded like my mother not only something she would say but it actually sounded like her voice shadow projection is everywhere right now the worst among us try to make themselves feel like the best by offloading their sin and their depravity onto people who have done nothing to deserve it this is how the fractured and inverted cluster B mind defends itself from knowing itself, from understanding its shadow. Take Dante King as an example. Mr. King is faculty at the Mayo Clinic and at the University of California at San Francisco. He teaches medical students, future doctors. Here's what he had to say to some of them recently. Whites are psychopaths. And their behavior represents an underlying biologically transmitted proclivity with roots deep in their evolutionary history. How, can, how many of you could see the proclivity that evolved deep within the evolutionary history of whiteness by show of hands? How many of you could see it? Some people are sitting here, oh no, I don't wanna raise my hand. That's called denial. There's no discussion about the delusion and the perversion of whiteness. Say this with me, rape culture in America is a legal, economic, and moral institution. So we're going to, we have it written in the law, you can rape black women, but we've never been a racist country. This goes beyond gaslighting and it's rooted in psychological delusion. And I'm not seeking agreement from white people at all. 
I don't prioritize whiteness or white people in my work in that way. So turn to your neighbor and say, as much as we want to talk about how bad anti-blackness is, it is the foundation of all American, all white American institutions. We then get to Ron DeSantis. He says, in Florida, we're taking a stand against the state-sanctioned racism that is critical race theory. We won't allow Florida tax dollars to be spent teaching kids to hate our country or hate each other, only to hate black people. We will invest dollars in that. I think whites are psychopathic. I think there are many lies. The level of lying that white people do that has started since colonialism, we're just used to it. Teenagers, young people that are going out and committing person, uh, uh, home invasion and hitting people, women over the head with person, uh, uh, objects and stealing their purses. I want you to just say, that's just human nature. And if, some, if you're sitting here, you're going, wow, he sounds really pro-black. I am, I am. And for all you white people who are unwilling to admit that, admit that you're pro-white, you're just not saying it. What would you say for folks who may say that your work is considered to be reverse racism. I don't make room for that. How many of you can see it? The proclivity that evolved in whiteness. Polysyllabic sound and fury signifying nothing. This is what a dim-witted person thinks a brilliant person sounds like. That same urge drives soft humanities academics, particularly black people and women, to insist on being called doctor in every context. It's compensation. They know. The law says we can rape black women, really. Rape culture in America is a legal, economic, and moral institution. We have it written into law. You can rape black women, but we've never been a racist country. Do you, it, it's this blatant. The lying is this blatant. And he says, if you're sitting here saying that I sound really pro-black, I am, I am. And for all of you white people unwilling to admit you're pro-white, you're just not saying it. This is the perfect illustration of shadow projection. It's a complete reversal of the truth. That's what the devil does. And he's got the great deceiver in him. Yeah, I spoke to a coaching client in my coaching consulting practice the other day who said what scared him the most today was not the psychopaths, the narcissists, but all the people around them and around us who act like they can't see it. The people who go along with it. Not a person in that room with Dante King during that lecture uttered a peep of protest. How many people, how many white people were sitting there taking their BDSM master's lash and saying, thank you, sir, may I have another? Plenty of people who should know better, who do know better, are flattering this serpent.
Naturally, he has a website and it includes this section. What people are saying. What are people saying? Here's a people saying something. Dante is an amazing historian, teacher, and educator. His work is transformational and provides learners with historical and emotional context to gain a deeper and raw understanding of the impact of slavery and the evolution of anti-blackness in America. Dr. Amy Sigmiller Renner, Mayo Clinic. <laughs> learners. We don't have students anymore. We have learners, just like we don't have ed teachers anymore. We have educators and we don't have lessons. We have learnings. Rapid changes of terminology are a signifier of a narcissistic project, a project to obscure. What people like Dante King are doing to students, to medical students in this case, is intellectual germline infection. This is the psychological equivalent of radiological damage to our DNA. It's not a one-off. They're infecting every future generation with this depravity and making sure that it's passed down. Do you want these doctors treating you? Do you want them treating your children? <clears throat> the past couple of episodes, I've talked about how the theme of the episode is total disconnection from reality. And of course, some of you in the audience have rightly said, isn't that every episode? Yep, it is. As I was writing this episode for this week, it, I kept coming back to the same feeling, the same theme. But... What we're doing is chronicling the downfall of this culture. We only know what it looked and felt like when Mount Vesuvius erupted in AD 79, because we have two eyewitness written accounts. The most famous comes from Pliny the Younger. He chronicled the devastation. Kevin and I on this show are trying to chronicle the collapse of our culture. More and more, I think that it's all we can do. And there are a lot of chroniclers out there right now, writing, speaking, recording, talking about it. But will, will any of our words survive? Probably not. at least in media, the images and sounds will degrade into magnetic equilibrium. Future people, if there are any, won't even have dust to sweep up from a broken stone tablet. All of this will vanish into the ether. But nevertheless, I feel compelled to notice and to say it and to chronicle it. So let's do some more. Podcaster and blogger Adam B. Coleman, you can find him on Substack, highly recommended. He alerted uh, the public to this. I noticed this. This interview that ran 
in February 2023 on an Idaho local television news station. So I had to do some investigating. I had to do some some serious self inward discovery and realize that nobody can make you be LGBTQ. Nobody can make you gay, queer. Nobody can make you trans. It's she was born this way. My other daughter was born that way. You feel that way, Georgie? Yeah, completely. What do you say to somebody who thinks that? Um, that this was brought on you or this was... I think you have a dangerous mindset that um, their, their um, ideals and opinions are hurting a community that is already hurting. When you first heard the term transgender, what did you think? I thought that's me. Why? Um, I don't know. I've never really, I, I, I was never uncomfortable with identifying as um, a boy. Um, it was just, when I heard it, I realized I would be much more comfortable. When she said, I'm transgender, it, it clicked with me. It made perfect sense. Um, she may never have felt those, those inconsistencies when she was younger, but I saw them. So it was it 100% when she said, I'm transgender, there wasn't a doubt. I believed her from moment one. Once a child makes that commitment that they're willing to live, to socially transition and live their life as a gender other than what they were assigned at birth, we have to support them. We have to um, let them know that we believe them, that um, they are, a human and the the gender that they believe they are specifically when they're in a household where they're not maybe not getting the support that they need um, having that at school is so important for their mental health next year when i go to um, back to public school I, I would like to use the women's restroom because i i identify as a woman you know if if i'm going to the bathroom and you know it's a free period and everyone is um you know, they'd see me. They'd see me avoid the women's restroom and go into the counselor's office to use the bathroom. So it's important to you to feel like you belong? Yeah. I get angry. I get very angry. Well, I get angry for her that, that they're wanting to take this away from her. But I get angry because I feel like my parental rights, my, my right to have my daughter receive the whatever medical care I feel she needs, Taking, taken away from me. Well, I think that um, um, stopping, stopping hormone treatment, stopping um, uh, puberty blockers, um, that it's, it's really dangerous. You are taking um, a couple detransitioners' opinions over hundreds of thousands of transgender people who are um, actively disagreeing. The fact that they had to take a, a detransitioner from California just because they couldn't find one locally, that, that says a lot. Taking their word on it instead of, you know, a marginalized group who, who um, just want to exist, it's, it's dangerous. It's harmful. That was shadow projection from mommy. Listen to how she defends her own actions, her wicked actions, by saying Georgie was born this way, that her other daughter was born this way. Oh, really? So she's doing this to, to her two sons. What are the odds? 
It must be genetic, right? <laughs> Part of this woman knows what she's done, but it's intolerable to her to acknowledge what she's done. So her darkness has to be put outside her onto nature, genetics, God. Do you see how nervous that poor young boy was? The fidgeting, the squirming, the halting voice. Did you hear how he said he wasn't even uncomfortable being a boy? He didn't choose this, she did. 30 years ago, we could recognize Munchausen syndrome by proxy. It was all over the talk shows. It was on the movie of the week. It was in popular films like The Sixth Sense. This woman would have been in prison 30 years ago if she'd been discovered. Today, she's presented by respectable media as a loving mother. Complete moral inversion. Adam Coleman picked up on some other strange things about poor Georgie. He said this on Twitter. That also became a Substack essay. This might sound superficial, but I think this really matters in the narrative about if Georgie truly feels like a teenage girl. Style. Georgie dresses exactly like his mother, which is very unusual. Teenage girls, even if they had bad style, don't dress like 50-year-old women. No, they don't. It doesn't sound superficial, Adam. It's a deep tell. You noticed a deep truth. Did you hear Georgie's voice and vocabulary? Did, did you hear how much he sounded like his mother, not just in the words that he used, but in his actual vocal quality, his affect? This is more than family resemblance. It's cluster B enmeshment. I recognize it because it reminds me of a young me and how I sounded like my mother, how I talked like my mother. <sighs> Let's notice some things about private property rights, which are almost gone. We've told you about how states like Massachusetts are asking their citizens to board and quarter illegal immigrants. Soon it won't be optional, it won't be an ask, it'll be a tell. Once people do let them in in such states, states like Massachusetts, liberal states, blue states, woke states. The landlord laws will do everything they can to stop those private families from throwing them out if they need to or want to. When I had to, I've had a little taste of this. It's going to get much worse. But I had a little taste of this seven, eight years ago when I had to evict my mother from my house. It was months in court and thousands of dollars because she refused to go voluntarily. The court let her drag out every time frame way past the statutory deadline. I had voluntarily given her longer than state law required of me as a landlord, and the courts still allowed her to abuse the process, still allowed her to abuse me and extort me financially. You don't think I was getting full rent, do you? <laughs> no. The court just gave her more, all at my financial and emotional cost, which is what's going to happen to all of these people, all of these liberals who open their hearts and their hearths.
Blessed are the wicked, for they shall inherit the earth. Take a listen to this gentleman from Oregon explain to us how to legally steal and extort private families out of their houses and their cash. This is how I got a free house in Portland, Oregon, and how you can too. So the first thing I did was find a vacant house that somebody was trying to rent. Next, I looked up how to break into a lockbox without using force. Thanks, YouTube. Next, I forged some documents. This made it look like I had a lease agreement and I called the utility companies and had the utilities put in my name. I'm not going to pay them, but they don't know that. When the owner showed up, I politely explained that this was my house now and they need to leave. So they call the police and I show them my lease agreement and the utility bills and they tell the owner that this is a civil matter and they've got to sue me. This made the owner super angry, so she lawyers up and tries to evict me. Of course, I can't afford a lawyer, so I call up a tenant advocacy group who gives me a lawyer that's 100% free and funded by taxpayers. So my out-of-pocket is still zero dollars. So this lawyer fights on my behalf for months and months, really driving the owner crazy and costing her tens of thousands of dollars. Finally, the owner decided it would be cheaper to just give me a chunk of cash to leave rather than continue paying the lawyer. So she writes me a check for 10k and I move out. I didn't even have to clean the place up, and that's a good thing because I do a lot of drugs and the house looks every bit of it. Still no thank you no for aerating the walls, but whatever. So I just got nine months of free rent in a house that otherwise would have cost me three grand a month, plus a nice cash for keys check. And I wasn't even charged with anything. I always thought that stealing was wrong, but it turns out if you steal a house, it's not even against the law here. So this couldn't have worked out any better. Thanks, Portland. Now, my guess, and I can only guess, is that this guy isn't actually a squatter, but that he's doing a character to illustrate how real squatters can and do use the law in places like Portland, Oregon. But you know what? I'm not sure. It, it's no good saying, oh, that's an obvious parody, that's an obvious put on, because nothing is obviously parody anymore. Think about it. Think how many times you haven't known. How can you know when reality is so close to parody, when reality goes over the line past parody? You see every week on this show how bold evil is today, and why shouldn't it be? It doesn't suffer consequences. Why shouldn't it be bold? All right, time to take a break. Come see us on the other side. Can't get enough of our love, baby? That's because you're not subscribed. Move that thumb over to the great big old subscribe button on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. We put out audio-only exclusive content that you won't get on any other video platform, so make sure you subscribe today. Looking for a non-woke place to put your money where your mouth is? Put it where my mouth is. Disaffected supporters get access to our private Discord chat server, backstage episode recording sessions, surprise guests, and more. And all it takes is $10 a month. You've got two options. Either Substack, visit us at disaffectedpod.substack.com, or go over to subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Remember, choose the $10 level or higher for Discord access.
Did you catch the Super Bowl this week? I didn't. <laughs> You're shocked, right? Absolutely shocked. For the first time I can remember, though, there was more talk about who attended the Super Bowl, Taylor Swift, than there was about the commercials, except for commentator Matt Walsh. And he featured the commercial we're about to see on in a minute on his show, and it's worth a look. And if you heard his show, his episode uh, about it this week, this is going to sound familiar to you, which, which happens a lot because, as I've said before, I tend to notice 90% of the same things that Matt Walsh does even before I hear it on his show. Um, and I want to talk about this. This is a commercial from a putatively Christian group that's all about how Jesus didn't teach hate but instead he washed feet. And it's about how Jesus gets us, all of us. The link goes to hegetsus.com slash love your neighbor. Now, this is not a genuine religious message. It's not a Christian message. It's Marxist propaganda. Remember, there is no safe place from woke. There's nowhere to run. You can't escape. It's already everywhere. We're going to play this commercial through and then we're going to go back through it frame by frame and I'm going to talk about it. Don't ask me what you know is true. The first offensive things about this is the corruption and degradation of that in excess song. Kevin and I were talking about this. It really pisses us off. It's probably a music licensing company that owns their catalog. We'd like to think that in excess itself, the band. Yes, I realize Michael Hutchins, the lead singer, has been dead for a long time. Wouldn't have agreed to this, but really. Which pop icon, which stars of the past 40 years would say no to this? Down with the system, man, right? All right. Can we do that? Uh, can we go frame by frame? Thanks, Kevin. So what's so noticeable about this. And the reason I keep looking down is because I have a monitor here and I need to see exactly what I'm narrating to you. Look who's doing the feet washing and look who's getting their feet washed. Now, this first one is a domestic scene in a family home. Actually, it looks like a, a home 
into the mid-20th century. Nothing, nothing too offensive about this. Son washing dad's feet. Okay, fine. Next one, please. Ah. Yeah, here we go. The cop is washing the feet of the black man in an alley. <laughs> because he owes it to black people, doesn't he? For all the terrible things that cops do to young urban scholars. Next one, please. Ah, here we go. Regular popular girl in a cheerleader-esque outfit washes the feet of freak girl with fuchsia hair. You picking up on a theme yet? You're doing penance for being normal to the poor downtrodden outcasts. Next one. Cowboy washes the feet of the Indian. Next one. Mm. So what we have here is an abortion clinic, family planning clinic. It's an abortion clinic. And we have some nasty blonde white people on the right who are protesting. But one of them breaks away. One gracious, middle-aged, blonde, middle-class, suburban mom washes the feet of the poor girl getting the abortion, the tattooed girl. It only goes in one direction. Next one, please. And here we've got a woman living in squalor, an alcoholic, having her feet washed by a woman who's dressed and coated as healthy and not in the throes of addiction. Oh, I know, I know. On the surface, it seems like let's, let's care for, let's give a blessing to the downtrodden. 30 or 40 years ago, I wouldn't have criticized it. Not today. Because today, everybody who is downtrodden, you, you, know, you notice it in the words. It's not that they did anything. It's not that they were irresponsible. It's not that they are responsible for bringing themselves out of addiction, with the help of other people, of course. It's that they were trodden upon. They are the victims, never the agents. And it's on all of us, taking care of our own business, holding our own lives together, trying to hold our families together, trying to pay our bills. It's our job to keep giving and giving and giving while these people drink themselves to death, crack themselves to death, meth themselves to death, fentanyl themselves to death, and then turn around and open fire on the rest of us. Next one, please. <laughs> Not quite sure how to read this, but I suspect it's the construction worker washing the feet of either a climate protester or maybe she's supposed to be a, a migrant. But it's certainly a man washing a woman's feet. We don't see it happen the other way. I don't think we see it happen the other way. I don't think any women wash men's feet in this. Next one. Uh, again. 
<laughs> God, this is so disgusting. I read this as a Greyhound bus full of either homeless people. I, I think they're border jumpers or undocumented migrants. And there stands our our lady, the stand-in for Mary, holding her baby, having her feet washed by a privileged, pink-sweatered, page-boy blonde, middle-class suburban mom, because we owe it to them, don't we? Do you know how many illegals are streaming over the border and spreading out across the country? There's been more than six million since the Biden administration took over. Do you have any idea how many people that is? It's not stopping. Ah, but we can't, we can't say there's an agenda to replace American citizens. We can't say that. That's crazy. It's a conspiracy. It makes us racist. It makes us xenophobic. Next one, please. Ah, suburban lady washing the feet of the, I think we're supposed to read this as the Muslim woman in the suburban neighborhood. All the people that we white people have made their lives living hell, somehow, by living in Pleasantville, Indiana and going to the grocery store and paying our bills on time. Somehow, we owe them. <laughs> charity my ass. This is extortion. Next one. Now, this one is a little more interesting. This looks like a Black Lives Matter protest, and it is a black woman washing the feet of another woman, but she's brown, I think is what I'm seeing here. I think maybe we're supposed to read her as Latina, possibly. This is the only one out of here that doesn't strike me as as easily codable the way the rest of this is. You know, the the oppressor washes the feet of the oppressed. Uh, tell me what you think about it. Maybe you read it differently. Maybe I'm not seeing something here. Next one, please. <clears throat> you know, innocuous white guy, black guy sitting on the porch of a country home, soaking their feet together. Fine. <laughs> You know, I don't I don't have I don't have skin in this game, so to speak. Because I'm not a Christian. That might change, might not. I'm certainly more on the side of the Christians than I am aligned with the secular atheist liberals these days. I trust them more. I find and I'm not talking about the fundamentalists. I'm not talking about the abuse of fundamentalists. I know they're there, but they're not the great, big, powerful boogeyman that we've been told they are. They were at one point. They're not now. They've been vanquished. Christianity itself is being vanquished. This is a part of the vanquishment. And it's deliberate. All right. <laughs> Thematically tied together. Let's go to the next topic. Because remember, there, oh, 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 yes, that's right, I forgot. This, 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 a priest on his knees washing the feet of a fey gay man.
who took his roller skates off just to get his mani-pedi. You can see it, right? Not Christian, Marxist. Right, I think that's the last one. Remember, there is no place to run and there is no place to hide. Here's a message from some leaders of the Young Men's Christian Association. But what happens to that knowledge? Is it being disseminated down to those 16-year-old staff, right? Specifically, I think inclusive language is very important through my lens. Um, that's what's interesting about our training because Aaron and I both have different lenses that we're kind of attacking this training with, right? As a member of the LGBTQIA plus community, inclusive language is so important. So if you're saying line up boys and girls, like that's, that we can't be doing that anymore in, in 2024, right? I think being okay with mistakes is another, right? Giving grace and understanding that somebody might be saying something just because of lack of education or lack of knowledge when it comes to a certain lens and being okay with having that courageous conversation with them, which is sometimes hard for our, our younger leaders to do. Yeah, yeah. I think those courageous conversations are difficult at any age, really, unless you've, you've practiced it. So I think that's the important piece. Um, and then what do you, um, how do you recommend that folks learn more about inclusive leadership? Well, I'm biased, but I would say attend our session at yeah. <laughs> um, But also ACA in general, they have so many great resources, so many great trainings. I know that this year and last year too, I would say there were a lot of great trainings with a DEIB focus, which is amazing. So I would definitely recommend that folks take advantage of those. Um, and also all of the great networking opportunities that's available at ACA too, to be able to learn from so many different diverse voices and speakers and, and peers too. I think that's a really great and valuable experience. You know this organization, of course, as the YMCA. But that stands for the Young Men's Christian Association. And the counterpart is the Young Women's Christian Association. So where are the men? Why are these narcissistic women, including the obligatory, morbidly obese lesbian Bridget Barbara Byrne, she, her? Why are they making decisions about the YMCA. Where, <laughs> this type, you know, this, this type of narcissism, particularly favored by women, this is the communal narcissism. This is Lady Bountiful, the mother, the devouring mother. Look how good and mommy-like they are. <laughs> We can't call them boys and girls anymore. We can't be doing that in 2024. Look at yourself. <laughs> you know, she doesn't have a membership. She's never been on a treadmill in her goddamn life. And she says, how are we going to make sure that that message is delivered down to the 16-year-olds? Germline infection. This is the prelude, of course, to all sex shower rooms, if it hasn't happened already at this particular YMCA, and it very well may have. It has at, at other YMCAs. And the women who objected to perverted men in their locker rooms, like Christian feminist mom Kaylee Triller, 
Well, eight years ago, eight years ago, the YMCA fired her for objecting to men in the women and girls shower room. Eight years ago. This has been going on a long time. Men, where are you? It's no good, men. It's, we can't do this anymore. We can't say they won't let us or the women will squawk at us. Who cares? Stand up, use your full-grown man voice and say, shut up. Enough of this bullshit. You will not do this to my children, to your children, to our children. You will not. Tell women no. Stand up, men. Stand up straight. We are needed. No more Mr. Pansy. There's no place to hide in the heartland either. Let's go to Kansas. This is from a press release from Kansas Attorney General Chris Kobach. Here's a man standing up. Nota bene, my fail, fellow males. School districts socially transitioning students without parental consent, despite Attorney General's warning. Attorney General Chris Kobach announced today that several Kansas school districts allow employees to hide from parents the fact that a student may be using a different name or pronouns at school. Late last year, Kobach sent letters to six Kansas school districts challenging their policies that require or allow school district staff to conceal from parents a student's transgender or gender nonconforming status. In short, the policies allow schools to socially transition children without the parents' knowledge or consent. Do you remember in very recent memory when no one would dream of putting schools in the role of primary decision maker above the parents, because I do, and I think you do too. This is a remarkably rapid reversal. The public schools today literally believe they own your children. They do, just listen to them. They say it out loud, they're not afraid to say it anymore. Attorney General Kobach said most school districts complied after he sent the letter and reversed their policies. He gives them the out, though, uh, the excuse by saying that outside activist groups pressured them and the school board just didn't know. Yes, they did. <laughs> yes, they did. If they were pressured, they took the training and they read the materials and they signed off on it. <laughs> There's no excuse. They're not naives. They're collaborators. Capos. But a few school districts have remained defiant. Quote, the four remaining school districts, however, dug in their heels and essentially asserted that school administrators know better than parents. Those remaining schools were Kansas City, Olathe, Shawnee Mission, and Topeka. Next quote. Some schools denied that their policies cut parents out of the picture, but the attorney general's letters quote the offending language directly from those schools' policies. Olathe requested a meeting to discuss the issue with the AG's office, but despite repeated attempts by the attorney general's staff, no such meeting has been scheduled. Are you ready to bring back public hanging? Squeamish, didn't like that. What do you think this is going to come down to when the pot boils over? 
Do you think that some of this is not going to end in violent self-defense? Do you think we're going to talk it out? How's that been going for us? Talking it out. <laughs> there hasn't been any fucking talking it out. People won't even raise their voices. Some are. Sure, we see them. We've shown some here on the show. But it's not enough. It's not nearly enough. Sooner or later, people, normal people, are going to go postal. It's human nature. When society, when society's structures fall apart, when the police will not protect innocent citizens, when the teachers that we trust, stupidly, to educate our students instead pervert and brainwash their minds. When these things fall apart, people are eventually going to push back. I'm not endorsing it. I'm describing reality. That's reality. But then I ask myself, will they? Will they actually do it? Or have we all already been boiled slowly enough that we can watch our skin fall off with third degree burns in that pot and say, this feels great. Mm. All right, time for another break. We'd like to ask for your support. And this is a really good time to do it for two reasons. Number one, we've lowered the price on a subscription to our Substack, which is um, also connected to this show. It's gone from $10 to $7. People have told us that price was a barrier for them. Times are tough for everyone right now. We don't want to lose you. We'd like to have as many people supporting this work and talking with us as possible. So go to disaffectedpod.substack.com and you can help us keep making this show and producing the writing that comes out there. And I also want to announce coming up this week for paid subscribers to Disaffected, we are going to be having a hangout on our Discord, which is a chat server. Um, it's going to be open to supporters. It's going to happen this Thursday, February 22nd at 7 p.m. Eastern United States time. That's Thursday, February 22nd at 7 p.m. U.S. Eastern time. How will you know how to get there? If you subscribe to our disaffected, uh, to our disaffected, uh, to our Substack, you will get an automated email that gives you a link to join the Discord. And you'll see us in there. We're going to have a room. Uh, we're all going to be able to see each other on video or by voice. And I will also be posting on Substack and on Subscribestar. Thank you, subs uh, Subscribestar supporters. I will be posting a reminder. It'll be behind a paywall. So if you are a subscriber, you'll get the code in there. Come back and we'll finish out the show. Can't get enough of our love, baby? That's because you're not subscribed. Move that thumb over to the great big old subscribe button on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. We put out audio-only exclusive content that you won't get on any other video platform, so make sure you subscribe today. Looking for a non-woke place to put your money where your mouth is? Put it where my mouth is. 
Disaffected supporters get access to our private Discord chat server, backstage episode recording sessions, surprise guests, and more. And all it takes is $10 a month. You've got two options. Either Substack, visit us at disaffectedpod.substack.com, or go over to subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Remember, choose the $10 level or higher for Discord access. Welcome back. Do you need somebody to talk to? Come talk to me. I offer one hour coaching and consulting sessions at joshuaslocum.net. And people come to me for a lot of things. I specialize, of course, in abuse dynamics, cluster B personality disorder dynamics that affect families, that affect work, that affect social situations. Um, but I'm finding a lot of people lately a lot of my clients, who are you, audience members, some of you I, I know even before you came to me, but of course the majority of you, uh, it's the first time I get to meet you and it's really nice. I like being able to um, actually see you and talk to you one-on-one. -on -one. A lot of you are coming to me just to talk to somebody who sees it and says it. Um, I had a client this week who said, I can't even talk about what's going on to me at work in this woke hellscape that I live in, I can't even talk about it with my therapist because she shuts me down or she communicates in body language or tone of voice that she doesn't want to hear it. You can talk to me. And if you are a paid supporter of Disaffected, you get a $30 discount. So check it out at joshuaslocum.net. Over the past four years, during the past four years, Western governments locked us into our homes over a virus that killed only the old and the very sick. They shut down our businesses, putting multifamily, multi-generation businesses and families out of work permanently. The Centers for Disease Control, the Centers for Fucking Disease Control, nationalized the U.S. rental market and interfered in the landlord-tenant contract relationship by barring landlords from evicting anyone for non-payment of rent or any other reason on what? Public health grounds. You know the Third Reich justified what it did on the grounds of public health, right? The military discharged soldiers for refusing to take a dangerous injection that they called a vaccine. And we see what that vaccine is doing to people now. This was the most extreme suspension of constitutional rights in modern history. It may be the most extreme suspension in the history of this country. And yeah, I think it's, oh, it affected far more people than even the horrible internment of Japanese U.S. citizens during World War II. It was bigger than that. Much bigger. Did you know you were living through a historical nightmare when it happened? Do you know it now? Like millions, I was pushed out of my career for speaking out about it in public. But there are many people who lost far more than I did. And we still haven't had 
truth and reconciliation. The government raped us and we're sitting here like it never happened. It did happen. Twitter user 9mm SMG is another chronicler, another noticer. And I think we should have to hear what he has to say and what happened to him and his family. My mother died from COVID while never having COVID. At the beginning of the pandemic, she found a tiny lump the size of a dime on the back of her knee. No doctor would see her due to COVID. A doctor diagnosed her with a Baker's cyst on the phone and refused to see her. Weeks and months went by and it continued to grow. She had Zoom calls with doctors. No one would see her and they all stuck by the cyst theory. The cyst grew outside of her skin and more Zoom appointments led to antibiotics being prescribed as it ripped through her flesh. No one would see her. She could not get a doctor to see her and they all dismissed her. <clears throat> I went and saw a baseball sized tumor on the back of her leg that was four different colors open and seeping fluid everywhere. I immediately said, that's cancer. And she said, the doctor said it was an infected cyst. I brought her to the emergency room. I was removed by security because they wouldn't let me in with her to advocate for her. And I decided I wasn't going to be removed. She was treated for an infected cyst and released with no biopsy. I found a dermatologist outside of her insurance and brought her. He immediately diagnosed it as very likely sarcoma and biopsied it. It was malignant. Later scans showed it had spread to her lungs and lymph nodes. I wasn't allowed inside for her treatment, so she sat through them alone and afraid. I moved into my aunt's house where she was staying so I could care for her and not dump her into a hospital or a rehab center. I wasn't, excuse me, for over a year, I watched the cancer eat her alive, helping her to go to the bathroom, cleaning her, changing her bed. She needed to be carried everywhere and she was entirely non-ambulatory. Her lymph nodes in her groin swelled so badly that she could no longer urinate and needed a Foley catheter, which caused constant infections. The cancer grew and they refused to amputate her leg. The tumor was the size of a very large grapefruit oozing everywhere and had almost amputated her leg entirely before she died. She laid in bed smelling herself rot. My aunt's entire house smelled from it, from the cancer. It was nearly unlivable. She experienced one of the worst deaths I've ever witnessed. I watched her take her last breaths while praying over her and holding her hand. I fell to my knees and thanked God for mercy. <clears throat> I didn't cry when she died. That was the only easy part of the process. Years later, my aunt is still suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder and severe depression. It tore my whole family apart, not just my mother. Years later, we are close to settling the lawsuit after rejecting large settlements. It's my suit, but when we settle, I'm going to give my aunt half. She suffered more than me. I didn't sue for the money. In fact, I'm shocked I kept my composure and handled it as I did. This was about justice and hurting them where it hurts their wallets. Just a reminder, so this can never happen again.
Godspeed. You can't hide in Arizona either. Here's a report from the Arizona Free News. One Arizona town is the progressive pioneer of controlling online speech. Quote, Big Brother is alive and well in one Arizona town where an entire department of city employees is paid to monitor the online speech of employees and elected officials to enforce conformity with a progressive political agenda. Next quote. Though it may sound like a fictional invention of Orwellian fashion, there's a real place in Arizona where that occurs. It's an arrangement unlike any other in the state and by, by all indicators, the first of its kind in the nation. It's the Office of Digital Government in the town of Gilbert. Now, this office snoops on about a dozen town employees. They monitor what's posted on social media in the town's name, so far so good, official accounts. But that's not all they monitor. They spy on their employees' personal social media as well to make sure that it complies with LGBTQIA plus 2S, BLM, and other Marxist ideologies. It reminds me of, of what one of my former supervisors said in the career that I lost. In a meeting about what to do about Joshua Slocum before I was pushed out. Somebody on that board was sympathetic to me. That's why I know what happened. They discussed my infraction of appearing on Fox News on my own time to discuss female narcissism. I believe the quote from one of my supervisors was, I was disturbed that he appeared on Fox News. They weren't disturbed when I appeared in every major media, NPR, CBS News, New York Times, live, morning shows, afternoon shows, evening news. They weren't disturbed by any of that when I appeared as part of my job to promote their cause. And apparently, they thought that meant that they owned me. I corrected them. So what's eating Gilbert, Arizona? Quote, one former employee that we spoke with on the condition of anonymity said they left their job in part due to the Office of Digital Government's control over the other departments. Quote, when I worked there, they were pushing the chiefs of police and fire to be more liberal. Then there's those emails about how excited they were about getting the chief to kneel to Black Lives Matter, said the employee. How liberal? They told law enforcement and firefighters they were not allowed to show public support for their own colleagues, fellow police officers and firefighters, because those colleagues were in law enforcement. Next quote. Other issues have sparked more immediate attention from Gilbert leadership. Public records revealed that departmental leadership would entertain the Office of Digital Government's complaints about certain employees' online speech to which they objected, such as a show of support for first responders, emer emergency medical responders. Next quote. In an August 2020 email obtained through public records, Birchman, that's the director of the Office of Digital Government, 
notified Gilbert Fire Department leadership that one of their fire trucks drove by and turned on sirens to support the Back the Blue protesters. The implication was that the fire department leadership would instruct its employees to not engage in similar behavior in the future, as they have regarding the displays of thin blue line flags symbolizing support for police. Gilbert Fire and Police Leadership instructed personnel to not fly those flags due to the controversial message related to George Floyd's death and the BLM riots. And again, this is from Arizona Free News. Residents of this town are complaining that criminal gangs who beat up their teenage kids are going uninvestigated. Why? Because the perpetrators are black and brown. I believe them. We see it every day. Remember last week's show? How the Vancouver Transit Police would not describe a rape suspect as a man, even in a press release pleading for the public's help to identify the rape suspect because he was wearing women's clothes in the video they saw and they weren't sure about his gender identity. We're told constantly that trans people, usually trans women, are facing a genocide. They're being murdered left and right just for being themselves, we're told. It isn't true. Of the couple of dozen recorded murders of so-called trans women every year, which is a vanishingly small statistic. Almost all of them are murdered because these men are working as prostitutes or they're being killed by their gangbanger boyfriends. It's the truth. Oh, I'm sorry, sex workers. <laughs> so of course, we're to believe that trans people never harm anyone, they are only the harmed. They're all, they're all gentle as lambs. Well, Twitter user Benny Johnson says this, the Colorado Springs shooter identified as non-binary, the Denver shooter identified as trans, the Aberdeen shooter identified as trans, the Nashville shooter identified as trans. One thing is very clear, the modern trans movement is radicalizing activists into terrorists. The media, has to contextualize this for us, of course, to downplay it. I'll give you one screenshot of the first page of Google search results for trans mass shooters. See it there? Reuters, majority of US mass shooters are cis men, not transgender, Associated Press. Fact focus, no incredible rise in transgender shooters. It's not the majority, there's no incredible rise. We have a fact focus, they tell us. Reuters assures us that those cis men, pig fuckers that they are, are responsible for most of them anyway. That's not the point. The point is that trans activists and most trans people themselves are severely mentally ill. That doesn't mean all of them are violent. I'm not making that claim. It does mean that violence is much more common because they're sick in the head. They're traumatized at the very least. And the majority of them are personality disordered. And they are living in a society that tells them that every time they don't get exactly what they want down to the tone of voice with which people speak their pronouns, that an actual harm is being done to them. It should not be any mystery that people in this frame of mind interpret that 
and then go on to the next step and say, well, then it's self-defense. What happened recently in Prosperity Gospel preacher Joel Austin's church outside of Houston, his megachurch. This is from Forbes. What we know about the Lakewood church shooter. Houston police have identified the person who shot two people at Lakewood Church Sunday as Genesee Yvonne Moreno, a 36-year-old with a criminal record and a history of mental health issues. Now, this woman brought a seven-year-old child, her son, to the church. Then she started shooting in the hallway. Thankfully, off-duty police shot back at her. Take a look at this picture you're seeing here. This is from one of her prior mugshots. Do you, do you, you disaffected viewers recognize this look now? That's the look of a psychopath, most likely. It's a smirk. It's duper's delight. Oh, yeah? What are you going to do about it? So she goes into the hallway of the church and she starts shooting. Thankfully, off-duty police shot back and killed her before she could kill anyone. But... Her little boy, her seven-year-old, was shot in the head, and he's still in critical condition. And it's not clear if it was her gun or if it was one of the off-duty cops, because it's perfectly possible that she used her own son as a human shield. He'll never be okay, that boy. But I'm glad his mother is dead. Genesee Moreno, of course, has a documented history of mental health problems. She also has a history of telling people that she is a man named Jeffrey Escalante. <sighs> Show that picture again, could you please, Kevin? Just take a look. <laughs> Don't judge books by their covers, right? All right. Coming up to the end of the show, but I want to remind you that we are having a disaffected paid supporter members only hangout Thursday, September 22nd, 7 p.m. Eastern United States time. I'm going to repeat that. And the reason I'm repeating it, time zones bollocks people up. I'm asking you when you listen to me, do the conversion in your head right now. If you're living in another place or another country, listen carefully and do the conversion because I always get emails after saying, I thought it was at seven, it was at seven, but not Greenwich Mean Time. So Thursday, February 22nd, 7 p.m., United States Eastern Time. I hope to see you there. We don't have an agenda for it. Um, just let's have some companionship. Let's have some fellowship, okay? Lately, a number of people have booked consulting sessions with me. And they've come because they want to talk to somebody who sees the insanity. Two of them this week said that they couldn't talk to their, to people close to them about this because they were being treated as if they were crazy, about woke, about transing children, about the invasion of millions of illegals. One client said, I can't even talk to my therapist about this because she shuts me down when I talk about how woke women are coming after me at work because I'm a white man. Another one said, my husband is giving me the silent treatment when I try to talk about the problem of mutilating children and calling it gender-affirming care. 
this is ripping people's relationships apart. This world is ripping people apart in a way I've never seen before. People are telling me directly that they are desperate to be validated, and that's why they're making an appointment with me. They need to know that they're not crazy. They think they're not, but their mothers, their fathers, their wives, their husbands, their childhood best friends are telling them that they are crazy. And they feel that they don't know these people anymore. They don't recognize the person standing in front of them who can see the same plain evidence of depraved child abuse and social collapse, yet turn around and tell their loved ones that they are insane. They are the problem. Yes, the word for this is gaslighting. This is textbook gaslighting. I'm glad to be that sounding board and I give that validation. But I don't know what more to do. I can and I do advise people on techniques to distance themselves and set boundaries with disordered and abusive people to the best of my knowledge. But what can I say to people who are watching their normal range, non-personality disordered loved ones capitulate entirely to the brave new world? Because now it's not just the cluster Bs. It's millions of otherwise loving and formerly sane people who have lost their minds. And they have lost their minds. A few months ago, my own therapist suggested that one of the key features of being personality disordered is complete disconnection from reality. We both just looked at each other as the implications sunk in. Is fully half the country or 20, 30% of the country personality disordered, even temporarily, functionally? What does it mean if that's the case? What does it mean if half the population or a substantial portion looks, walks, acts, and talks like a fully diagnosable borderline case? This is a totalizing nightmare and it's driving people to despair. I've been apologizing to my clients for being unable to give them as much hope or direction as I would like to when they come to me with this particular kind of problem, because I don't have any solutions for this. All I know to do is to see the truth and say the truth back to them. I, <laughs> you know, I've told my grocery store stories. There's nothing funny about this one. I, I, I went shopping yesterday in Montpelier and I went through the checkout just I can the demoralization is everywhere I'm demoralized but so is everybody around me I can see it in their eyes their souls are dying I don't know how else to say it you can see it in their eyes there's something dead there I, I, I walk up and there's a 19 year old young man at the cash register Really long hair, really frizzy, poofy hair that clearly hasn't been washed in weeks. It looks like it's never had a brush through it. I mean, just he can't even bring himself to do basic hygiene and grooming. And of course, this is totally new normal. You don't get sent home for that because there's not enough people to work anyway. And he's got a neck gaiter all the way up to his eyes 
black, fully black, and he's hunched over. He's 19 years old and he is terrified and he's given up. It's making me sick in my soul to leave the house. So what do we do? I think that all we can do, or I don't know, it's not all we can do, but, but I think we have to hold each other's hands through this. And I have to, I think we have to mirror reality back to each other. So I would suggest that to you. Hold hands with someone who needs to know that she's not crazy. Tell her in explicit terms that she is seeing something real and that you see it too. You know, movies about ghosts and hauntings often feature a character, usually a woman, who sees apparitions and visitations that other people can't see. Sometimes the ghost does something that other people can see, though, like throwing a, a glass down an empty hallway in front of her husband or in front of her friend. But you know how it goes in these movies. Even if her husband sees that glass levitate, he won't admit it. He has to find some rational explanation, some other explanation. The crazy thing didn't happen. It wasn't a ghost. It wasn't a levitation. And anyway, he's already decided that his wife is crazy because it's too scary to acknowledge that she's not. Because if she's not, then what he saw is real. We are haunted every minute of every day. We're accosted by ghosts or hungry ghosts, as Gabar Mate calls them. And everyone can see them. Everyone can see them. It's just that most people say they can't because it's too horrifying to admit that it's real. If you see the ghosts, say so. Tell your friend that you see them. Tell your wife that you see them. Tell the school board that you see them. In whatever way you can, be that anchor to reality for someone because they need you and we need each other. Good night.